0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to Life After Business, the podcast. Ryan Tansom here. Today's guest name is Mark Doust. I absolutely had a Blaster in this conversation mark is a online business broker. So this is kind of the second version of the conversations about online websites e-commerce companies and how they are valued how they go to market and mark Um, He started his journey at a company that he built called Site Reference, where he had about 220,000 subscribers, and he ended up selling it in the mid-2000s, and since then he started a company called Quiet Light Brokerage, where... Up to today, he has sold over a hundred million dollars worth of revenue in websites and online companies, which is I think is around 600 website companies. And Mark and I really get into the meat of what does it mean to be an online company, and we talk about the variations of companies, how they're valued, and then how today traditional businesses, brick and mortar, normal main street businesses can apply the the strategies that these online companies are using to blend together because Mark and I really agreed and we dove a ton into the marriage of the traditional and online businesses and how we're seeing this conversion in the marketplace. I loved the conversation. Without further ado, here's Mark. Mark, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Doing very good. I'm uh Very excited you agreed to come on the show, and for our listeners' sake, if you can bring us back to the time where you decided to become an entrepreneur and start your online business.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, Well, that goes back to 2002. I I started uh, in the online world in 1997. I was in college. I, I built my first website. I'm thankful that uh, it's one of the few things on the internet that's disappeared uh, because it was pretty <laughs> awful. Uh, but right out of college, I worked for an internet company out in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I learned <laughs> I learned really quickly just how volatile this space is. Uh, I still remember I, I walked into the office one day. We had about 30 people in my, my division. I was an account manager. We had about 30 people in my division. And all of a sudden, uh, it was a Monday morning. I, I saw everybody going in to talk to our supervisor and learned that our, our division went from 30 people down to three. I was one of the three people left. Uh, I went from uh, having uh, three clients or four clients maybe, up to 220 Holy in a day. <laughs> yeah, and then on top of that, uh, as kind of the uh, the great benefit, uh, I got to tell all of my new 220 clients who I had no relationship with that we were going to double their prices um, oh. immediately, <laughs> which <laughs> you can imagine how that went. Uh, really trial by fire, but that was uh, you know the early days of the Internet and one of the very first big bubble bursts. Um but I I didn't really start my entrepreneurial career until about 2 years uh later and I got let go from that job um uh and and uh, kind of grew a distaste for the corporate world pretty quickly <laughs> and uh became what I like to call professionally unemployed uh I like it it's <laughs> just a way for me to to explain what I do because it's kind of difficult to explain to people at uh uh gatherings and stuff what what you do uh but from there I started um I started an online publication that uh, focused on uh, online or internet-based entrepreneurship. And I sold that in 2006 uh, through another brokerage firm that that specialized in internet-based uh, acquisitions. And then about a year later, uh, a good friend of mine, back from those days when um, when I took on those 220 clients, one of my those clients became a good friend of mine, and he decided to sell his business and asked if I wanted to help him. Uh, and that was kind of the the start of Quiet Life Brokerage. Uh, it's something that I had played around with before, I had thought about before, uh, but never really jumped into. And that was the opportunity to jump into it. Um, and and now it's been about ten years. Actually, it'll be ten years uh, this fall uh, since I started up Quiet Life Brokerage.
0: That's crazy how fast it goes. So when they when they when they fired those people, you and they picked three people. You must have been one of the people that had the toughest skin that can just go take on two hundred twenty people and double their
1: prices. <laughs> You know what? I was cheap. Uh, that's what it was. we, we were <laughs> the three people that they kept were the recent college grads that had got just started. <laughs> and so, you know, it was uh, oh my goodness, our company's bleeding money. We got to let go of a lot of people, and who can we keep? These guys don't cost a lot. Let's keep them. <laughs> that's a good strategy <laughs> so, too. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was, but uh, it was really crazy. That was that was uh, quite the adventure. But I learned a ton. I mean. I uh, as hard as that experience was, I learned a lot and I still have relationships from those days with some of those clients. Um, I see some of them at conferences now and we reminisce in almost like a, uh, uh talking about, uh, our, our war stories <laughs> 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 of what that was like. Cause they didn't like it on their side, of course. Well, I'm sure. Uh, so
0: did they help you, you know, going back to your, uh, the, um, business that you started, it, it was three newsletters, correct. And you had almost a quarter million, um, subscribers. So, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of a backdrop on what? How did you start it? What was the purpose behind it, and um, what drove it?
1: Oh, boy, you know how I started. It was um, a pivot from another business, and uh, I'm not sure if we should go into all that. It gets kind of detailed and, and uh, nuancey, but uh, suffice it to say, I had another marketing based business which um, I had brought on a bunch of subscribers and. Uh, They were paying uh, a monthly fee, but that business didn't work out. So I turned it into a freemium model. People Mm -hmm. could sign up for the service. It was automated. uh, And I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. Now, this was back in the early 2000s when uh, email marketing had a much different uh, vibe and feel to it. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I thought, well, I'm offering a service for free. Why don't I make a condition of it that you have to subscribe to this newsletter? And that's what I used to drive uh, traffic or subscribers to this newsletter, Uh, And uh, you're right, I think I maxed out around 225,000 subscribers uh, to that newsletter. And we would publish, I think it was 10 articles per week. uh, And we dealt with everything from how to appear higher in the search rankings to how do you do your taxes as an entrepreneur uh, working from home. Uh, The model that I think uh, is so foreign to a lot of traditional business owners uh, from the online world is there's a bunch of people making money from their homes and they're very good at making money on the internet, but they don't really have a lot of business acumen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we try to focus on, on a little bit of both and straddle that line um, between you know, what are some traditional business principles and what are uh, some things that will make you more successful online.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head because there's a lot of people that I and I've been slowly more and more exposed to your guys' world um, with my digital marketing, and it is kind of mind-boggling how much money these people are making with you know very you know green business acumen, and it's just an interesting um, observation that I've seen it as the worlds are kind of colliding where yeah you all of a sudden you're making money and you can become you know, savvy in business if you've got the time and the resources. So it's it's not a bad situation to have. Um, the question I got like, for for our listeners and as we talk about the traditional businesses and the online businesses, you know, I think the biggest question that everybody has is, okay, so if you've got 220,000 subscribers and your newsletter is free, how do you sell that?
1: Well, I had sponsors. So I I, uh, I generated revenue through... Uh, sponsorships of the newsletter. Um, we had a website, we had a forum, we had the newsletter, and I had various ad slots. But the most popular thing was uh, sponsorships within the newsletter or dedicated mailing to our list, where uh, we would send it out co branded. Hey, this is a the name of the website was Site Reference. And this is a Site Reference uh, uh, partner. Take a look at uh, the offer that they have, and I would charge. I think I would charge uh, two thousand or three thousand dollars for. Uh, for that mailing Uh, and so uh, I would have one of those go out per per week and so what I was really selling um, at that point in the acquisition was the the content but also the email list and the eyeballs Uh, how many people are going to be seeing your message and how do you monetize this and there's a lot that you can do uh, with that I I think a general philosophy that I had back then and I still have to this day although it's modified a little bit is is in the online world if you have eyeballs if you have an audience. Uh, you can make money
0: so when you're what was the triggering event as I mean if you're generating revenue and you've got you know a significant subscriber list like this what was the triggering event for you to sell it versus to continue to grow and expand your current user base
1: <laughs> um, I was naive. <laughs>
0: <a good> <laughs> I mean, I'm
1: not sure if there's really much more of an honest answer than that. You know, I I was giving advice to people on how to be successful online, and there's a certain hubris that comes with that <laughs> where I thought. Um, why don't I go off and take some of my own advice <laughs> it's a lot harder than it seems um, evidently uh, so I, I sold it I was a little bit bored uh, with it um, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur I get shiny penny syndrome and so um, I, I decided I was going to sell it and I didn't have much of a plan um, afterwards and I mean that that in, uh, in itself is a story because I, I sold it I didn't sell it for that much money I sold it for enough to really give me about a year uh, worth of time. And uh, <laughs> my following projects didn't really take off like, <laughs> like I had expected. Um, but well, th- uh, fortunately, Quiet Life Brokerage came around just in time.
0: Well, I think it's a it's a cool story because I, I heard a little bit of your podcast for, uh, with Chris Yates and um, you did something interesting over 12 months. And I think, you know, a lot of your experience that you're giving um, entrepreneurs now is come, it comes from some of the things that you did because it, it you went back and you did a bunch of stuff over 12 months, correct, that allowed you to significantly increase the value of your business?
1: Well, so for for that, no, I didn't actually uh, increase the value of the business. What I did see is what I could have done to increase the value of that business. Um, to, to give the listeners just a little bit of uh, context, I sold the business for $165,000. But I know for a fact, and now, especially today with the knowledge I have in online business valuations... That that business should have been worth if I had done a few things, it should have been worth over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, uh, and I know that the uh, the uh, owner who bought it from me could have gotten that uh, if he had wanted um, to from from the business. Uh, and what I you know the big mistake I made with the with the site reference was it lacked. Uh, any transferability and this is a huge aspect this is one of the things that makes internet businesses valuable is the ability to transfer them over to anybody in the country or even internationally but the problem with that references, um i was doing so much of the work i was i was writing i was editing i was the sales guy i was the programmer i i don't have a programming background but i learned how to program so that i could uh, build the websites and do everything else like that i wore every single hat in that business and that's a really difficult uh, prospect to, to sell uh, in an acquisition. Frankly, I got a really good price for it, um, given how much I was involved in the day-to-day. And if I were to go back you know, 12 years or 13 years, however long ago it was, and advise myself back then, I would have a lot of advice for myself uh, as to how to increase the value of that business. But that, that's another reason, by the way, you asked yes, why did I sell. The other reason that, that I sold is I couldn't figure out how to turn that corner. I couldn't figure out how to... Uh, expand beyond myself. I was making enough money to support my family, but not enough money to invest in in other people uh, and and, uh, take that short-term hit. Um, At least that was my thought at the time.
0: So it's very interesting because that scenario, I think, is applicable to every entrepreneur. I don't care what business that they have. I don't know if you've um, heard of the book or read the book called The E-Myth. Um, this gentleman Michael, Michael Gerber talks about the technical individual versus the actual entrepreneur and it's how do you remove yourself from the hub and spoke I mean and every, brick and mortar companies and online companies it's interesting how they struggle from the same thing um, as you're looking you know the hindsight bias but then all these companies that you're working with today what, you know, what, what are some of the things that you can do to turn the corner and to, to make that business more transferable
1: Ah, uh, great question, and I, I wish I could say I have it completely figured out. I don't. I still struggle with this as well. And part of it is just the control uh, nature of being an entrepreneur, right? Uh, you want to control all aspects. <laughs> I, I think the first, the first thing that you have to realize is that uh, companies that have employees tend to make more money. I mean, this is a pretty basic statistic, but I went through um, uh, recently for an article on our website. Uh, on whether or not you should, it was uh, geared towards people who are doing acquisitions. And a common question we get is, uh, should I buy one big business or should I buy lots of smaller businesses? Right, This is a common question. So I try to answer it through statistics. One of the things that I found, uh, I went through and I looked at uh, 20 of our past deals, uh, is a direct correlation, a very, very strong correlation between the amount of cash flow a business makes, uh, generates uh, and the number of employees that they have. Uh, and for, for your listeners again that, that might be more uh, familiar with the, the brick and mortar world uh, in the online world you can do a lot of things without employees this is the big appeal of the online business world. I've had clients who are pulling in half a million dollars in uh, uh, bottom line earnings and they have themselves and a general contractor that works for them uh, maybe in the Philippines right that's that's not mm-hmm. an uncommon scenario but it's not necessarily a healthy scenario either. Um, so I think, how do you make that transition? I think the first thing is you have to understand that, that uh, investing in uh, other people is a good thing for you. The, the, the second thing that I found that has really helped uh, me, uh, I forget what book I read this in, and, and maybe I can shoot you a link after so that uh, you can share it with your, your subscribers because it was a really good, uh, a really good uh, uh, book. But uh, it, it was a, a survey that uh, went around to some of the most successful people to value what, uh, what they find to be the most valuable assets. And the the more successful the person, the more uniform the response was. Time, time was their most valuable asset. And uh, when I heard that, I was like, absolutely, that makes complete sense. It's the one thing that you cannot get back. If you spend money, you can make more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you uh, use an asset, you can make it, you can usually replace it somehow. You, you can't replace time. Mm-hmm. And so, understanding that that uh, time is your most valuable asset and uh, investing in that. Uh, is is going to pay off uh that's been uh a second thing so a lot of what, what i 've done has been mindset based
0: well i think it's it i mean you you hit it time is the most valuable asset and it you know whether it 's traditional businesses or online businesses so uh the 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 it 's all applicable because you know when I sit down with a, a business owner or the, our listeners are are looking into their own situation transferable value is the most important part and that means Having an asset that you can hand off to someone that is not a job but where I mean if you or I were to go buy you know someone's business, I don't want another job right and that's kind of the the conversation that we continue to focus in on because if you don't all these individuals that half a million dollar um, uh, individual you're talking about he's got himself a job, he doesn't have himself a business.
1: Right, right. Now, with a company that's making half a million dollars, there's still a lot of value there because the buyer can replace them with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're absolutely right. We talk about this all the time, especially with entrepreneurs who are making lower amounts of money. So uh, the company that has thirty dollars to $50,000 of net income uh, and works 40 to 50 hours a week, mm-hmm. why would you want to buy that business? It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You're buying a job that, that pays less than, frankly, most other jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're putting up your own money to do so. Yeah, transferable value is, is huge. And so figuring out ways to, to uh, automate your business either through systems or through uh, hiring um, is, is really the trick. And it really does come down to, to uh, de- figuring out systems for both your contractors, employees, and any other automation you can put in place.
0: So with your, um, with how you're analyzing businesses at your brokerage firm, and as you're working with other um, online businesses like this, so when you're looking at transferable value, you know Chris in the previous podcast had talked about you know you're applying a multiple and evaluation to these companies. So can you dive in and explain a little bit more about what are the different aspects that you're looking at? So let's say we've got the cash flow number and that that it's accurate and because you know we've done some due diligence, but what? What are different key drivers, like the transferable or employees? Are there any other variables that will impact how you're valuing that business?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, there's actually dozens upon dozens of uh, factors that we look at. Um, And I wrote a guide on this, which is on our website, um, called uh, How Much Is My Website Worth? The Ultimate Guide to Website Value. And it's over 20,000 words uh, of content where we go into um, all the different things that can impact value. Now, that's obviously somewhat overwhelming to look at that, right? And, and I wouldn't recommend going through and reading every little thing. I can link to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely link to it. Um, it I mean, it's, it's there as a resource uh, for people. But what I uh, generally talk about if I'm speaking at a conference or uh, anytime I'm, I have a reference point is I like to put things into four generic buckets, four main drivers of that multiple or of the, uh, the thing that would influence evaluation. And those four buckets would be the risk, the growth, the transferability, and the documentation that a, a business has. The risk being pretty obvious, right? What, what could kill your business or what could destroy your business? And in our world of, uh, of websites, it's so much more pronounced. The risk is so much uh, stronger than it is with a traditional brick and mortar business. Uh, if, if I have a website that's pulling in $100,000 today, but then all of a sudden it fails, i have nothing left to sell i don't have physical assets to sell and so it's a much higher risk sort of business it's all goodwill all blue skies sort of um sort of value so risk is a very large motivating factor and we we can go into what things are opposing specific risk to internet-based businesses Uh, growth and i always emphasize don't talk about the potential of the business no one cares about the potential talk about the growth prospects those things that are realistic Uh, to be able to achieve. And the best indicator of growth prospects is typically historical growth or recent growth uh, for the business. That's the strongest growth prospect. Uh, Transferability, we we already keyed on that a little bit. Um, And that's how easy is it for somebody who doesn't know your business to come in and run the business from day one? Uh, What sort of learning curve are they going to have and what sort of uh, restrictions are they going to have, either geographic or licensing or otherwise? And then last, and, and this is easiest thing for any entrepreneur to control and adds so much valuable value to the business people usually don't see it uh is documentation have your books in order uh, understand what your business is doing and be prepared for the documentation uh, you sold your business right and you know how much uh, how much work is in <laughs> due diligence it's a pain yeah. uh but you gotta do it you gotta have the documentation and the more that you keep it um organized the more value you're gonna get uh, i sold somebody's business um back in october and she stood out as probably the most organized, <laughs> the most organized seller I have ever worked with. And I talked to the the buyer uh, afterwards I said, how much help did that, that uh, give you through this? And he said, oh, it made such a difference. And this guy's bought multiple businesses online and offline. He says, it's made such a difference to have organized books. I felt like there was, you know, there was nothing uh, hidden. She knew her stuff. She knew what was there. And uh, I could trust her. Um, all throughout the process, because she had her stuff together, uh, which which makes all the difference in the I'm world. I'm sure
0: she got more money for it too.
1: She got a great deal. Yeah, no, she got a, she got a solid deal. Uh, we privately shopped that one to about ten buyers. Uh, I had two people who were super interested, uh, and we got uh, definitely a top end uh, sort of price. But. You know, the business was solid, too. Somebody who's organized with their books is typically organized other, uh, yeah. otherwise. And I talked to the buyer. He's doing really well with the business uh, today as well, which makes me very happy.
0: Well, and, and you trust, man. You, you you nailed it. And data equals trust. There was a gentleman on our, on our show called Rob Nelson, and he owns a company called Grow. He had sold some businesses, and Grow is a uh, business intelligence company now. And the amount of information that guy had ready to sell, he got his company sold in less than a month. Because it's like, here it all is, and the trust factor immediately is uh, expedited because, yeah, you're not having to second guess every piece of information that you're getting.
1: Yeah, I tell people all the time that, that offers are made based off the metrics, but deals have to be closed on trust. If you don't trust the person you're working with, you're never going to get to the closing table. And there's lots of indicators of trust throughout the deal. And and I think a good broker, a really good broker, understands that their job is to actually help really build a, a bank of trust on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, documentation is uh, right up there at the top. Have good, clean documentation uh, and and don't surprise uh, the person buying your business in a bad way <laughs>
0: surprises are not good in, in due diligence
1: <laughs> no no you know i i actually had somebody a buyer this was years ago he called me and he said i'm really concerned i'm like oh well what, what's wrong he's like these numbers aren't adding up I'm like oh well that's bad i'm like well how are they not adding up they've got they've got like fifty thousand dollars more revenue than they're reporting isn't that a good thing <laughs> <laughs> like, so I guess so but why are they wrong it, you know it, it, <laughs> I, I, I get he's, he's wondering if, if they're wrong here where else are they wrong right no uh, yeah, even yeah. though there was more revenue there and that that was a good thing and he was getting a better deal <laughs> it's still seated that that mistrust of uh, these guys are kind of disorganized mm-hmm. um, so. Mm-hmm.
0: so um for our listeners and you know even for for my benefit you know when we're talking website I think there's this big ambiguity of websites uh, Chris and I have kind of hammered into the different kind of classes of what you guys are working on on a daily basis. But can you give us a little bit of a, a a general breakdown of the different types of websites and where are these people generating their money and then where and who are the potential buyers and how are you kind of facilitating all that?
1: Sure. Uh, great question. And, you know, it, the, the industry has changed um, quite a bit since I started. When I started Quiet like Brokerage, our um, I don't know if it was a slogan, but uh, we just said we, we sell profitable and established websites. Well, today I would kind of broaden that out to talk about businesses because uh, it, it's much more difficult to have just a website that makes money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to separate it into different categories, we would have your e-commerce. Uh, that would be one section. And e-commerce is something that I think most people are familiar with. You're selling products online. Right, um, So uh, you're selling wagons or you're selling bikes or you're selling basketball hoops or industrial equipment, um, farm equipment, any any sort of thing under the sun. Um, and that typically is made up of a website and then maybe you're selling on Amazon or Walmart.com or other marketplaces as well. And there's, there's different uh, avenues that you're making money and uh, selling those products. Um, and those can get quite complex. And there's lots of subcategories mm-hmm. in the e-commerce realm. But you move away from the e-commerce realm, then you get into service-based businesses, which I would consider quite like brokerage to fall squarely into the service-based business. Web designers, web programmers, SEO optimizers, consultants uh, of that nature, doing most of their business online. I would lump that together uh, in in a group. Then you have uh, software as a service, which is a very popular and highly uh, desirable niche to be in. Mm -hmm. Those would be um, online services that you pay a monthly fee or an annual fee to be a part of. Uh, And they provide some sort of online software. QuickBooks Online would be a a software as a service, a a very typical software as a service uh, type company. Uh, Then you have content sites, which my uh, first website site reference was a content site. um, And those usually focus on providing useful content and information to people who are looking for it. And you can monetize that through advertisements or through subscription or a paywall. And then you have um, other classified sites like online dating sites, which are just subscription sites uh, as as well. Uh, and then the last one, and I know this is quite a list, the last one I can think of off the top of my head would be lead generation sites, uh, where um, you're selling leads. Uh, think of like a mortgage uh, rate mm-hmm. request form or insurance form. Um, there's tons of different lead generation companies out there. Uh, that would be another uh, sector that that. Uh, we we focus on.
0: You know, it's so crazy interesting to me because, you know, when you when you finally break this down, those are all businesses. Like, and I love how you have you said that you've revamped kind of your tagline because those are all companies. Right? Those are they they're very established businesses. There's not this, you know, mystical unicorn stuff going on where it's this, you know, person that's blogging about bikes in his basement that's just making millions of dollars for no reason. I mean, these are very viable businesses that have customers and they're providing very, you know, concrete services to individuals, and I just I, I'm so interested in it because from talking to you and Chris, the 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 traditional businesses and the online businesses have are like colliding at you know rapid paces, and same thing with the metrics and how you're valuing them and what you're seeing under the hood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been a a great uh, maturation in the industry as well. Uh, When I started Quiet Light Brokerage in 2007, you did have those bloggers in the basement that just kind of stumbled into money. Um, (laughs) One of the first things that I I did in the online world um, was – I don't know how to describe it easily – but I found a way to to rank well in Google – for lots and lots of key terms, right, and and uh, I spent two afternoons uh, doing this, you know, just kind of playing around with some things, threw up a whole bunch of sites and and uh, was pulling in tens of thousands of dollars per month <laughs> within, you know, <laughs> thirty ago. or forty five days. Those days are long, long gone. The internet has gone through lots of different changes. Google has uh, penalized and taken out a lot of these people. There's still this this kind of gray hat or black hat world uh, that's out there. Uh, but it's nowhere near where it is, uh, uh, where it was uh, ten years ago. And what I would say is this: the the people who are legitimately doing good work online, you know, the the bloggers out there, uh, e-commerce companies out there, uh, they they have matured a lot, and they look a lot more like a traditional business than they did ten years ago
0: because they have to. I mean, if all of a sudden you're making a bunch of money like that, you have to put together your financials. People are asking questions. I mean, you've got banks that are getting involved. I mean, you're having to do this stuff because you're now an established business. And then, you know, you just you know eventually mature. And it, it, it's so. And it, for our listeners too, the way to grow is online. So it's not it's not just you know throwing this SEO thing together and hopefully that works. Because I mean, people are consuming and finding traditional businesses via the webs or you know via the web services now too so they have to be able to understand this and i think that there's a huge potential for traditional businesses to be able to get higher values for their company if they you know transferable value where they've got a system online you know and maybe we can d- this dive into some of the stuff that you've got in on your uh, resources online but where are they getting their information from so just to kind of give you a perfect example to uh, break it down where so our old business copier in IT sales. I knew that if I hired a $35,000 base pay uh, sales rep within 18 months, they would be selling $30,000 a month in revenue. And I knew exactly how fast I would make that return. And it would be 400 phone calls, 15 proposals, three uh, three sales, and an average of this much market. And it's, a, perf- it's an, a, a tried and true metric that we could go to the bank with. And that Same metric and models are now available online because of all the tools that you can track. You know, and then I'll kind of tee it up to you because it's demystifying the Google Analytics and the traffic and where things are coming from. Because instead of me having fifteen sales reps at thirty-five grand to seventy grand base pay, you could take half of that money and provide the same system online.
1: Absolutely, I mean the, the the one of the great advantages of. Uh, any online activity is the ability to track and provide advanced metrics. I mean, it's uh, the metrics that you can get uh, are, are extremely uh, granular and highly predictive. Um, so uh, it's, it's one of the, the big benefits. Uh, being online, uh, you're absolutely right. I,
0: can you explain some of the metrics? I mean, I, just for our listeners, and you, you know, I'd say my average client goes, "Yeah, we should just throw up a website and see what happens if we get traffic." Or they do the opposite, which is they pay some Google paid per click guy ten grand a month <laughs> to drive traffic. Sure. When so, what are the like so you know if I if you take my analog physical word of the calls and the appointments and stuff. What are some of the base you know key metrics that people should be looking at?
1: I mean, it depends on the business. Uh, so let, let's talk about e-commerce uh, business because I think that's going to be most familiar to, to most people. Um, you can take a look at uh, cost per acquisition. How much does it cost f- from your marketing dollars? How much does it cost to acquire a single client or a single paid customer? You can take a look at your conversion rate. How many people are taking a look at your website before they actually buy um, a product? And what is the average value of that conversion rate? Those two t- t- statistics all around are, are extremely powerful on their own. Imagine this um, right now. This is this is a classic thing that we see buyers do when they buy an online business. They'll take a look at an online business and they'll see, okay, for every 100 visitors that come to this website, uh, it's converting right now about one uh, person into a into a sale, right? A 1% conversion rate. And they'll come in and they'll run different tests and they'll realize, well, I can increase the conversion rate on this from one to maybe three or four. Now, think about this from a revenue standpoint you've just tripled or quadrupled <laughs> your revenue with just that one thing. And the way that you do this is through, uh, is through split testing. And there's systems out there. Uh, Google provides their own and there's lots of other, uh, uh, tools out there where you can split test different types of pages, uh, to say this sort of checkout page has a much higher conversion rate than this, uh, than, than a uh, conversion page two. And there's lots of services out there. ClickFunnels.com is a, a classic place where you, you can take a look at increasing conversion rates. Um, uh, on that um, as far as um, uh, other metrics are concerned you, you can uh, understand um, your reach repeat visitors you can look at uh, the average amount of time somebody's spending on uh, the website you can find out where they're abandoning the sales process so maybe you have a four-step checkout page or a four-step sales process you can find where people are leaving and saying i don't want this so the the, the uh, granular nature of the analytics is beyond anything that you're gonna get in a traditional brick and mortar world.
0: Which by the way, like take the take my old scenario. So I got fifteen sales reps, you know, two thirds of them are not doing anything or they're failing miserably and they just go off into the abyss during the day say whatever it is that they say to these potential clients or current clients and then come back and I have to trust whatever they're doing versus being able to actually see exactly where they are where the, these these clients are in the funnels and what's you know for our listeners who are trying to you know really understand this world what you're saying like these key metrics they're you can track via what is it? i mean it's the ip address and the computer so when you talk about repeat visitors you're actually able to have a very clear picture into this
1: yeah and, and let me uh, talk about two other things here which which um, uh, you know i find to be both a little creepy but also really powerful from just a business uh, standpoint um not only can you track when somebody comes back to your website you can see what they're looking at and where their mouse is and you can you can create a heat map on your site to see where they're spending most of their time uh, on that, so you can see what's attracting the, the eyeballs, what's is the tracking uh, the, their attention, and what's not, and you can modify that as well. And then, secondly, um, the the other uh, technology that that I think uh, your listeners might find fascinating is you can talk to these people. For for your analogy, you would have a sales rep go out and talk, you know talk to somebody, and then follow up with somebody, and then based on what that person is doing or what the response would be, hopefully that sales rep is int- is intelligent enough. To have a proper response, <laughs> well, from an email marketing standpoint, you can have a full funnel system set up, a full automation sequence set up, where uh, somebody uh, signs up with you to receive an email uh, on on uh, uh, on uh, you know, maybe they get a free ebook or just a free product guide or something like that, and then an email gets sent out from you. It comes directly from you and they receive it. And based on their behavior and interaction with your website from there on out, you can have customized emails going out to them. And imagine this scenario. You, you have a client. They go through your sales process. They go through every step and then they abandon uh, the sale just before they're about to check out. And uh, maybe you decide, well, Maybe they they just have buyer's regrets. So you send them a coupon by email for 10% off I know, I within five minutes <laughs> saying, um, hey, just thought I'd let you know. I uh, want to give you a 10% off uh, coupon. They don't know why they got it. They just know that they got this and they were really close to that decision point of of possibly buying. You know that and all of a sudden this this comes up magically. So things like that, right? Th- those That's sort of the power of the analytics. Uh, another um, uh, another uh, common thing that I see uh, subscription-based businesses do, right? You sign up for a su- subscription-based business and um, uh, you're paying 30 bucks a month. Um, well, from a, a business owner standpoint, I'm going to take a look at all those people paying 30 bucks a month and I'm going to see uh, how long people stay on average. Maybe they stay six months. And so their average lifetime is about $180 of, of uh, revenue to me. Well, when they sign up, what I might do is I might offer a one-time special only and say, hey, we're only going to offer this, this to you one time. Uh, but I'm going to uh, give you lifetime access to this for 225 bucks. Oh, now, what have I done? I've, I've increased my revenue uh, by $45 there. So uh, th- these are the sort of uh, uh, things that you can do from a marketing standpoint. It's really a marketer's dream. <laughs> it's, oh, it's what it is. Oh, my
0: gosh. And, I, and, you know, I come, growing up in the copier industry, I mean, we were a sales marketing – I mean, that's the whole industry. I mean, I, I bet you the employee – I mean, I'm totally just taking a guess. But it's got to be one of the top three like where the salespeople go because of how many uh salespeople they employ. And take my old world where I'd have, you know, my weekly full blown sales huddles with my fifteen sales reps and then the sales engineers and then the, the, the midweek huddles with the half a team. And I have to trust my salespeople like oh why didn't they buy? Well, you know, just because like <laughs> that was that was the response. So it was I mean you're essentially you're the bullshit filter as a sales manager and that's all you do for a living. <laughs>
1: Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think uh, uh, out of interest of this conversation, the one thing that we see at Quiet Light Brokerage um, that's really encouraging, you you talked about the marriage of the traditional business world with the online business world. We see that a lot. I mean, just uh, uh, people ask all the time, who buys these sites? Who buys these internet based businesses? Well, all the people that buy them come from the traditional brick and mortar world. And then they apply some of the basic principles (laughs) from that world Mm -hmm. to online business. And it it works beautifully. Uh, It works beautifully.
0: Well, it's a point in uh, case or perfect uh, case of that is – one of our one of the systems we follow is called the Value Builder System by John Warlow. He wrote a book called Built to Sell. Our listeners are probably familiar with it. Um, but one of the eight key drivers of traditional value is growth, and you, you talked about your growth scenario like you know as being one of the four key things that you look at. And for the potential buyers, or for when we're talking to business owners, one of the questions we ask them is how fast. Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase this: Is if you could scale five times today? Could you? And in the traditional, you know, the service businesses, you know, CPAs and, and law firms are probably the worst example because what would they have to do? They'd have to hire five times the amount of staff. When you think about what you talked about and how you could apply various metrics and just crank up the nozzle to scale it four times because of the metrics you got, you know exactly where to place your effort.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, hockey stick growth is a telltale sign of an internet-based business. But I mean, there's still growth pains, and, and uh, you still have to take that into consideration. I obviously talked a little bit about that with site reference uh, when I had that. You know, I could have grown that business much more had I taken <laughs> a few correct steps instead of just uh, selling it. But, um, so there are still are our, our growth pains, uh, but it's not the same at all. I mean, you can definitely scale much faster online.
0: So, what are the what are the trends that you're seeing with these um, variety uh, variety of e-commerce and online businesses? Where are they headed, and how are you like? What's your opinion of you see the traditional and the online business converging? I mean, is there certain trends that you're seeing in the, the the deals that you're doing?
1: Yeah, I say if we're talking e-commerce, the trend is um, away from reselling and uh, towards uh, developing your own brand. That that's a very strong trend right now. Uh, A lot of that's being dictated by Amazon um, Mm. and and by just the needs to stay competitive. Uh, When I started in 2007, if you wanted to uh, have an e-commerce business, what you would do is you would find a a wholesaler or a dropshipper. Um, And they would send out just a a product feed, which uh, you could just throw up on a website and you wouldn't have to do any updates. It would update for you automatically. And uh, next thing you know, you'd be getting sales from that. Today, that model is all but dead. I mean, you you can still do it, but it's it's not nearly what it was uh, 10 years ago. Now, when I look at an e-commerce business, again, it looks so much more like a traditional business. Uh, They're often manufacturing their own product uh, and having it come into the U.S., uh, to uh, various warehouses, and they use uh, various ERP software to be able to track their the shipments, and they have special uh, fulfillment services set up. So uh, a lot more traditional um, sort of uh, uh, self-made brands uh, would be a, a strong trend that I'm seeing in the online world. Uh, outside of that, SaaS, like, like mm-hmm. I said before, or software as a service, uh, and for any uh, service-based company that's out there, If you can uh, figure out how to turn your service into uh, a software and use it online, it's such a lucrative model and such a a, a great model to have. Um, We're we're seeing that uh, continuing to be a very, very strong trend, um, uh, both from what buyers are looking for and uh, also just desirable businesses to own.
0: So. I, I totally agree with you, and I mean everybody wants the golden ticket of the recurring revenue, where the first of the month you wake up every you know every time and your bank is full. First, <laughs> right? Yeah. Go collect it all and re- reinvent the wheel every month. You know, as we were talking about these trends, and you, and you've mentioned you know the the some traditional businesses buying the online businesses. If you're one of our listeners and you've got a you know a traditional business and say any industry, because I think it's very applicable across industries. What would be the step that you would take? Because you know our, our our listeners are trying to figure out how to grow the value of their business, how to stay relevant, but then also you know somewhere in the 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 realm of transitioning, whether they're going to sell it and or you know give it down or pass it on or whatever the, the, the situation might be, how can they leverage the online technology or the availability of businesses that you're working with to make their situation more lucrative or more appealing?
1: Uh, so let me see if I understand your your question yeah, correctly. So you you have you have a traditional business um, that doesn't have any sort of web presence. You're wondering how can they tr- uh, leverage uh, leverage the internet, uh, the power of the internet, and increase the value of their business.
0: Well yeah I think that's I'll, I'll maybe restate and we can go back to my per, my uh, my my personal example which is so if I if I've got you know my old copier IT services business and I'm looking at a you know the next 5 years or plus I am not only want to keep growing the value of my business looking possibly at transitioning is there a way where I could is it, whether do, do I buy an online company? Because a lot of our, the traditional businesses just have a website. You know, they, they've mm-hmm. got some customers that interact with it free. You know, every now and then, or they're posting stuff on social media, but there's no system behind it. How can traditional businesses that want to experience this stuff, what are some ways that they can leverage you know, possible companies that are for sale or things that they can do to bring themselves into this new world?
1: Well, sure. I mean, obviously, purchasing a business is a fast way to get into that that world. Um, so that that would be one option. And as long as it's it's somewhat um, related to what they're doing, I wouldn't recommend purchasing something that that isn't mm-hmm. related at all to what they're they're currently doing. Uh, other than that, I mean, it, it requires again thinking a little bit beyond just having a brochure website. And you see this a lot with with. Um, uh, Internet-based, but with uh, traditional businesses, right? They they'll put up a website, and like you said, they do some social media posting, and that's about it. You know what? I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example um, of something that I saw where uh, maybe this can serve as some uh, inspiration for this. Uh, I had to get my headshot taken for um, all the social media stuff and conferences and. Um, one of the most painful events of my life. I hate having <laughs> my, my uh, photo taken and all that. But anyways. The, your the smile looks
0: natural, just so you know. It looks good.
1: <laughs> Photoshop is wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, photographers, my sister uh, the got a photography business. And this is the, the, the classic sort of very simple business, which is um, brochure based, right? You put up some photos online and maybe you deliver the photos online to, the, to your clients. And that's about uh, the extent that uses the Internet. Well, this woman had a completely different approach. I went onto our website and inquired and she said, absolutely. Why don't you uh, go ahead and book a time? Well, I ended up getting this series of emails from her, which was, um, here's a link to my calendar where I could pick any time I wanted to be able to come in. I could pay online. I could tell her exactly what I wanted uh, to have done online. So all of the scheduling, all of the delivery, uh, every bit of the, every process of the business was pretty much taken care of through an online system. What was left for her was taking the pictures hmm. and then uploading them and saying, this this job is done. And for her, I mean, that that just relieved all that much uh, more uh, all, all that uh, headache and that, the busyness that that would normally be associated with that sort of uh, with with that sort of um, uh, type of uh, company. And so that's an example of of thinking how can you uh, use the internet? How can you uh, uh, use the internet and a website to uh, leverage your existing business? I'll give you another example. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm about to tell uh, the story correctly. I, I heard this at a conference uh, a few years ago, but there was a pool installation company, right? You don't get much more traditional than, <laughs> than that. And uh, what they did is, is they uh, compiled a list of all the questions that their salespeople would get. And uh, they, it was, I forget how many, it was, it was a massive number of questions. But then they ended up just putting all that content online and what happened was they started getting orders for pool installations without any pre sales process. I mean, just imagine that, right? <laughs> You're buying so, a $30,000 so pool online without talking to someone. <laughs> Exactly, because it, 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 here's the fact: people like to interact online more than they like to interact with people. I hate to break it to all salespeople. I'm a salesperson. <laughs> people don't like us, right? No one wants to talk to a salesperson. We're annoying sometimes, uh, and and uh, uh, you know more uh, to the point, people don't want to be sold. People want to make up their mind for their own, uh, and so the more that you can. Uh, distance that and allow people to discover on their own, uh, the the more success that you're going to have. So um, absolutely. I think there's lots of ways that a business can uh, leverage the internet. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to buy uh, a company, but I think what you can do is take a look at your own processes internally and understand that a lot of the processes that you're dealing with, especially when it comes to consumer-facing processes, can be handled online, and chances are your customers want that to happen.
0: Well, I, I... Absolutely. hundred percent believe everything you said with, to the bottom of my heart. Cause I, I've been on both sides of that table and it's weird because the purchases that I've made, even for my own business, you're talking very high ticket items that I'd never even met someone. <laughs> and you're just like, I'd, it was way better cause I was educated and I knew I wanted to buy and I just needed to give them my credit card.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, you know, as we're kind of uh, wrapping up here, a couple questions that I've got, you know, As we're talking about the the traditional businesses and, you know, the purchase or build or all these, you know, how do you put these systems to place? I mean, you know, when you talk about the skill sets that, that you need to put this in place, they're very unique because it's not the traditional IT manager or the traditional marketer who designs brochures. So, you know, how do you turn that corner? You know, go back to your first, your story. How do you turn the corner of getting into this world you know, maybe it is just to to buy somebody that has got someone that's got a complimentary service and that wants an earn out, and you can integrate you know their services into yours. Or is there, you know, a skill set that you could hire to d- help you do this? I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Boy, uh, great question, and and I'll try and give a good answer to it. But uh, it it really is a good question. I think it's a tougher nut to crack than a uh, simple five minute answer could could uh, could produce. But um, all right, so let's talk about skill sets first of all. Um, I, I find traditional uh, business owners tend to do well in the online world because they aren't handcuffed by knowledge of the specifics of what they're supposed to do. And that might sound odd, but... Um, some of the best people that I've worked with, best buyers that I've worked with, had trouble operating email, but they knew how to hire and they knew systems and they knew what goals and end goals they, they wanted. Um, I think if you understand that the online world is a business just like any other that is, com- uh, is comprised of specialist sort of um, positions, that's that's a place that I would start. So if you are a product-based uh, company and you're trying to sell products online, you need to, to see the elements that go in and know the elements that go into uh, online-based sales for selling uh, products. And that would include uh, paid search or maybe an Amazon consultant, and then somebody who knows how to develop and build a website with certain goals in mind. Um, if you're uh, purely a marketer, you need to have some basic familiarity with the types of marketing that is done done online. And then be able to hire for those uh, positions as well, and uh, and uh, um, it, again break it up into uh, what you're specifically looking to do. I, I don't know, Ryan. Do you have like a, an example maybe that we could? No, use? I
0: think it's. I think you're 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 answering it as clear as you can because it's as clear as mud, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Well, you know, I I, I personally went to the same thing where you you know there's. What is marketing? What is sales? What's online? There's this big, huge cloud of smoke around all of it because you know to to hire someone that knows email automation and the systems behind that versus the Google Analytics and the Facebook tracking and all that stuff is. I mean, other than fully learning it yourself as a business owner, which is you know very intimidating, finding the people that have the right skill sets. You know, you have to have a basic understanding of this stuff to be able to hire it out and. It's kind of like when we were hiring our sales reps, you know, we had to train them. We had to know what you know what qualities we were looking for. But that's you just I don't know. I I don't know if either of us are answering it. I think you'd probably nailed it a lot better than I did. But um, I I agree. Where you know business owners that are very skilled at running companies and systems and people and delegating have a huge opportunity to to grow the value of their company and to make their business relevant today in a way that they have never had the opportunity before.
1: You know, I think a way that we could think about this would be, um, would be if you're thinking about it like a car, I don't know cars, right? Uh, What I know is I I know I have an engine. I know the basics of how an engine works very, very basics. And I know I have uh, the drivetrain that goes to the, goes to the wheels. If I need to have somebody uh, specifically like very uh, particular specialist uh, work on it. I know that that I'm going to want to hire somebody to work on that specific part of, of of the car. If if we're talking about specialists, from the standpoint of a uh, a business owner who's getting into the online world, you need to understand the basics of how the online world works. But it's not all this mystical uh, sort of stuff. You can break it down into sort of the same thing that you would have for a traditional business. You have to have visitors. You have to have people looking at your site and then you have to have some sort of process in the back end to be able to serve uh, those vis- uh, visitors where things uh, and then you have to have your marketing uh, as well to bring the visitors in or to bring bring them in again um, as you start to drill down this sort of hierarchy of of you know high level stuff into more detailed stuff what you end up uh, inevitably uh, finding is that just like an engine you can tweak certain parts of it so marketing automation with email that falls under this big umbrella of marketing and it's not going to be right for every business but you can uh, break down and think about the big questions of i need to get people to my my site right or my business needs more people to come to the website we've got systems in place you know we figured that part out we need to be able to get people to the website all right so how do we do that well let's see first how many people are coming in so that'd be your tracking And let's talk about how we can get them in. Maybe email is a great way to go and maybe we can kind of work them through this funnel. Now you know you need marketing automation and you need to learn the basics of that. And then you hire somebody with the goal in mind. And this would be the big, I guess the the big point I would Mm -hmm. make would be understand your goal uh, first and work backwards from there. You don't need to know how to set up an email uh, marketing automation campaign. There are specialists out there who do this for a living. And you can hire them uh, and then give them the goals and let them reach the goals.
0: I love it. I think that's uh, I think that's very good advice. I really do because instead of just trying to f- hire someone to find out what the goal is, <laughs> that's a lot right. of wasted time and money.
1: Yeah, I mean, people will tell you all sorts of things, and they'll tell you whatever is their their specialty, right? <laughs> so <laughs> right. They'll, they'll tell you, "Oh, this is what I do. You should really have this." Well, no, you're you're the business owner. Figure out what your goals are. Yeah. You know, obviously, it starts with more revenue, more um, uh, more earnings. But I can tell you for, for, for myself. Like with Quiet Life Brokerage, um, our goal is to, obviously to, to sell more businesses, but that's kind of an ambiguous goal. How do you do that? And mm-hmm. so I've identified for Quiet Life Brokerage. Our goal is actually to have conversations, and I, I can give a direct correlation between the number of conversations we have per year and the amount of business that we do. And so our goal is how many conversations can we have with business owners? That, that's, again, still high level then we can start breaking down okay Mm -hmm. what sort of conversations do we have where do we have these conversations and that dictates from there what our marketing strategy is so for example i use uh, marketing automation where we send out like how do you sell an amazon business and people get an email from us and all that email is set up to do is to say hey why don't you give us a call and talk to us about this Mm -hmm. right and that's that's my goal and I'm, i'm reaching that specific goal of having a conversation
0: I think that's great advice. If there was, uh, one thing that we talked about that you want to reemphasize, um, and we talked about a lot, is there anything you want to kind of highlight for our listeners?
1: If there's one thing I would say that I, I think you actually were the one that talked mostly about this, but I think it's very, very true. And that is the, um, coming marriage or, or I mean, it's happening right now, the marriage of the online and uh, offline worlds. Um, um, I'm going to have to double check this. And if so, you can set out a correction if I'm wrong. But uh, I believe uh, Target stores this year uh, reported a significant drop in their their revenue uh, from the Christmas season. But their online store went up significantly. And we're seeing this with lots of brick and mortar stores, and lots of uh, traditional businesses. Their online presence is growing. Now, I can tell you from just experience, I've dealt with companies and business owners who had a retail store and they started up a website on the side. And next thing you know, that website was taking up 70, 80 percent of the revenue. And they wondered why they had a physical store in the first place. Uh, I've heard that, so story that before, too. <laughs> right. And I think I have to staff this store seven days a week, but my website, <laughs> I don't have to. Why, why am I even having <laughs> a physical right. store? Employees. That marriage is happening and it's yeah. going to continue to happen. And for people that are uh, coming from the traditional business world, you don't have to get rid of uh, the the lessons. Those lessons that you have and the things that you've learned and the business acumen that you've developed is extraordinarily valuable in the online world uh, if you apply those to the online world there's there's a ton of upside
0: i absolutely love it mark what if our listeners want to get in touch with you what's the best way
1: uh you can email me mark at com or contact us through our website um or there's a number on our website as well that you can call as well
0: perfect thanks so much for coming on the show
1: thanks